All right, Eric, I'm going to paint, like, a picture with words. You ready? Sure. It's 19 whenever the fuck this movie came out. And 79. It's 1979. And you're talking about Star Trek, the motion picture. And you are sitting in the theater, and you're a Star Trek fan. Absolutely, I am. And you're excited because this is the first time in a couple of years that you've seen a Star Trek. You goddamn bet. Yeah. And then you see Klingons with ridges. Yeah. All right. Go. What is your reaction? Oh, you aren't prepared for this. I think I take a drink of my Sprite because I'm not sure what was happening. Yeah, so... The... Well, okay, so the, the, the Klingon thing is is interesting. Um, I, I don't really know why they decided to do that. I think it was just to make them look different. And it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I mean, do you have a problem with it? Yes, I, as a purist, I, I don't know. That's what Klingons look like to me. Well, then you would have a problem with the way Klingons looked in the original series. I did. Didn't you hear me complain in every episode? Every episode the Klingons appeared in? All 79 episodes of the original series had Klingons in them? Yeah. That's right, because Kirk was a Klingon. I forgot. Dude, spoilers! <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Okay, so the movie starts out very oddly because we see Klingons, but... The, the 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 thing about and I think the the beginning of the of uh, the motion picture is indicative of the entire experience because you know I've seen this movie you know several times over the years and I'm never sure who it was made for. It's not a very good Star Trek story, and it's not very welcoming to people who don't know anything about Star Trek. Like, let me, yeah, I, I, when, when you. So I'm kind of at a loss for what they were trying to do with this movie. It's the kind of movie that starts off with a bunch of aliens speaking an alien language, and then you have a scene on an alien planet with another group of aliens speaking a different alien language. And by this point, I mean, all of the fans are excited, but everybody else has left the theater because. You know, is this movie in English? Right. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, as a Star Trek fan, if you were in the theater in 1979 watching this, would you have known that these were Klingons? You know, and I think that's an interesting question. To, yeah, they mention it in when they're now. OK, here's my question. So you have the Klingons talking to this. It's an outpost that later gets destroyed. And right. This is federation this is a federation outpost so they well, are the klingons are not talking to them the federation outpost is just listening in on what the uh, klingons are doing okay i misunderstood that i i thought that it, they were it, well receiving the distress call directly or something like that misunderstanding but. this movie is not difficult because <laughs> it's not very clear no it did seem like they were directly talking with them but again that could have just been the way that the scene was shot i can i can agree that it was probably they just got this radio transmission of this but it does look like they were signaling someone for help. I just thought that was the Federation. Either way, this implies that the Klingons are a little closer to Federation space than one would normally think they would be if they're enemies. So are they friends with the Federation yet? Because I know that eventually happens. No, I mean, if you look at, you know, and I don't want to get too much into the minutia of, you know, borders in Star Trek, but <laughs> you had the concept of the neutral zone, and they brought that up many times in the, in the original series and even in the animated series. Which was more a Romulan thing. No, there's a Klingon neutral zone as well. Okay. And uh, so my take on it was always that uh, the Federation outpost at the beginning of the movie was sort of like a, a listening post uh, stationed in Federation space on their side of the neutral zone. And okay. whatever was happening at the beginning of, of this movie was happening in Klingon space on the other side of, of the neutral zone. Okay. Right. And so, you know, it's it's interesting because... You know, you can identify the Klingons as Klingons because they're in the Klingon ships. And so Star Trek yes. fans would know who they are. Uh, and then I think, you know, once you accept the premise that Klingons just look different now, um, I think it's it's fine. It's affecting and I have no problem with it. I also, from what I know, Roddenberry kind of didn't really make a... Didn't you say, like, this is what I wanted Klingons to look like, but, you I know, mean, makeup and stuff like... Don't worry about it. Like, this is what Klingons look like now that I have money. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of figured it was a bit of that, too. He said a lot of weird things over <laughs> the years. And, and, you know, it's always unclear as to whether or not he actually meant any of it or if he was making it up to justify changes that he was making later on. Right? Either way, again, that's a very fine reason. That's a fine enough thing. Yeah, you know, sure. It's like when an actor gets replaced on a soap opera, I'm not going to. I'm basically being told, don't worry about this. This is just 
this is because it is a much cooler design either way. It's a much more alien design. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing about the movie too is, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, some of the some of the lead up to the movie because, of course, you know, one of the things about the motion picture is that uh, I think it's very problematic because it 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 doesn't really feel like Star Trek. I mean, it does and it doesn't. It it, it sort of has the you know, it's kind of, in, in some respects, it's a very daring movie, right? Because it's a expensive space science fiction picture in 1979 where nobody gets killed, really, and there's no violence to speak of. And it's a lot of talking. And what happens at the end of the movie is them basically talking to the villain of the piece and, and talking it down. And so I think in that respect, it's it's interesting. Um, and even at the you know at the very end of the movie, uh, you know, V'ger kind of destroys itself. You know, I, so in that respect, I think it's interesting. But it's such a it's such a lackluster piece of filmmaking in so many ways that you really have to look at why the movie was made the way it was to figure out why we got what we got if that makes sense well i know when i was what i this is when i first saw the movie i was like 10 or 11 i saw it with my dad and i stopped watching it during the scene at the beginning where scotty and kirk are just taking this very slow pod tour around the enterprise and you know i remember turning my dad and saying like this is really boring and he's saying, yeah this was you know close encounters had come out you know 2001 had come out you know you they wanted to kind of take it in that kind of direction where it is a very slow cerebral uh and there are a lot of scenes a lot of really cool looking scenes of weird ships or alien that the enti- entirety of the inside of V'ger is great trippy visuals well we do we associate star trek with slow trippy visuals not necessarily well i will get into that later because i have my own theories about that but you know, the movie is set up very oddly, and I think it's not the movie that Star Trek fans were expecting, and I don't think it's a movie that average people who didn't know too much about Star Trek were expecting. Because if you're looking at this movie, this movie was basically made because of Star Wars. And the thing about the movie is that it was originally set up, the script was originally written to be the, you know, two-hour premiere of a new Star Trek series. And I'm not going to get too much into like background production details because, you know, if, if, if you want to hear that kind of show, there are other ones out there. But I think it's instructive to know at least a little bit about it, especially for, for Richard's sake. You know, the, the, the basic idea, the 30 second or minute long, you know, um, story about this is that Paramount wanted to create a, a fourth TV network. And this was like 1975 or 1976. There were three networks at that point. Uh, you know, 20 years later, they actually did do it with uh, UPN, um, which is now gone, uh, which didn't really succeed very well. And well, that's Buffy's fault. Well, you know. Um, and so they wanted to have a new Star Trek show as kind of this linchpin of the yeah. network. And the reason they thought they could do this is, you know, because Star Trek was extremely popular in syndication. I think Paramount realized that they they did something extremely stupid in uh, in in well they didn't cancel it but NBC canceled it but I think Paramount realized the the money involved here and the possibility for much more money. It could be as simple as just it was ten years later was a better time for it. I got, you know might have been a thing. Sci-fi was different in the seventies versus the sixties. Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean this movie is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and we'll get into that but as you well. You have a serious non cute kids and robots sh- uh, movie. There was, Alien had come out of this was seventy nine too, right? Yes, it was. Um, so yeah, and of course, Alien was was being made kind of in conjunction with this movie, and Alien yeah. is a very different kind of movie. But, but that said, it's sci fi for adults. Alien is more of a horror movie, I think, than anything else. But you know, and so and so, what happened with this movie is that they they wrote this script, and it was going to be the the premiere of of a new show called Star Trek Phase Two. Um, there were going to be new characters. It was going to be, a, you know, a different ship. Um, not, not a different ship, but a, a reimagined Enterprise. And they kind of carried that over into the movie because as they were working on the movie, Paramount decided kind of secretly that they weren't going to make the TV show. Uh, and 
behind the scenes, the 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 higher ups were like, no, this is going to be a movie. They just didn't really tell anybody that was working yeah. on it, and so that's why the movie is the way it is. That's why the movie has these new characters that we don't really get introduced to very yeah. well. Um, Aaliyah, Decker, there's a, a, a Vulcan in the very beginning, which uh, later on gets gets killed in, in a, a transporter beam. And which is like needlessly cruel to the poor guy. I know it's like he, he appe- serves no purpose, literally. Yeah. And he, it's just like, well, we hired him, so we've got to kill his character off. So we never let him work again. Like, did he piss the director off? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my pro- my main problem with the motion picture is that when they knew that they were going to be making a Star Trek movie and not a new Star Trek TV show they should have scrapped this script and they should have started over because as a, as a premise, like for a, for a new TV show, sure. I'm on board with this. Um, as a two hour movie, I think it's very, very confusing because we don't know who a lot of these new characters are. Kirk comes across as an out of touch dick. It's just very, very neutered and they don't spend a lot of time getting the characterization down or developing new relationships among the new and old characters because they know that they're not going to be there at the end of the movie. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a problem. I think there could be, and, and there are weight. There could be a lot trimmed of the movie. Certainly any of the, these long, you know, ship sequences are pretty to look at, but they could be trimmed massively. There could probably be a good 20 minutes cut from the movie without anyone noticing. Yeah. And those 20 minutes could be filled with scenes with people talking to each other and, you know, developing relationships between them, you know, and learning who each other is. Like, Which is interesting because one of the criticisms of the motion picture is always that there's too much talking. None of the talking that really happened means anything, though. What what do you mean by that? Like, I guess a lot of the the scenes that I wanted to see establishing exactly what a Delton is or, you know, establishing exactly why, you know, do Decker and Kirk have a history together? They mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. seem to know each other. I mean, doesn't Decker say that Kirk recommended him for the position? Yeah, or, he does. Yeah, so the two of them know each other there and then suddenly Kirk's, you know, throwing his authority around like that's a more interesting story than just and it's not like there were any i can't really remember any conversations from the movie that's a problem you have these scenes like the teleporter scene which has nothing to do with anything that could be cut in favor of a a more bit of characterization well it's interesting you say that because i think the 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 relationship between decker and Kirk is one of the better ones in the movie, in my opinion, and it's also one of the more problematic ones. Because again, if you, if this was being set up as the series premiere of a new Star Trek show, yeah. this would have been great. You would have had Kirk come in, take control of the Enterprise again. Decker would have been the the uh, you know captain who was now just the XO, uh, reduced in rank. He would have been pissed off. You know, Kirk doesn't know the ship. He doesn't know the crew. He's he hasn't logged a single star hour in two and a half years, as they say in the movie, and. I think as a as a TV show, this would have worked a ton better. You know, but what? what you get is a movie where Star Trek fans haven't seen these characters in live action for ten years, and Kirk comes across again as an out of touch dick. Well, here's the thing: remember, all of the admirals and the higher ups that we saw in the original series are kind of dicky. Yeah, and I mean, this number one does put that into an interesting perspective when you think. Well, they're all acting like, you know, bureaucratic assholes who are trying to step over Kirk because they're missing the action. And they feel, well, here's Decker to Kirk is a young upstart. You know, let's put it this way. He does. When you talk about accomplishments, naturally, Kirk has a longer list. So he's naturally going to think he's more competent, even though he may be getting a little soft. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing. But and doughy doughy like a doughy pretzel. A little bit of salt. Um, the movie isn't sure whether we're supposed to think of Kirk at the. Is Kirk the one we're supposed to be rooting for? Like, yeah, Kirk, get command of your Enterprise again because, number one, it's Kirk. We want him to have the Enterprise. 
On the other hand, here's Decker, who knows what he's doing, who knows this new Enterprise, and one of the themes of the movie being, at some point it's time to move on. You know, being single-minded and refusing to make that next leap to the next stage is a problem. Um, And you need to have an... You know, all of that... So... Kirk taking back the Enterprise is not an unabashedly good thing. So it's it's this whole, it's very paradoxical and not in a way which I think the movie intends it to be. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it is it is very problematic that that relationship is set up in that way. You know, they, if, speaking as, you know, if you're looking at this as a non-Star Trek fan, and I mean, you're, you're a non-Star Trek fan. Yeah. I mean, even though you've seen, you yeah, know, the yeah. entirety of, of the original series and animated series. Yeah, I think you're rooting for Kirk to get control of the Enterprise, but at the same time, you know, that Kirk's a lot cuter right now. <laughs> well, like, yeah, that, that uh, honestly, like when you talk about which of them is when you put Kirk at this point and Decker next to each other, which of them looks more like the hero of a, a of a sci fi series? Yeah, which one of them looks like the Starship Captain? Well, and that's why I think it's, you know, we can get into this as we get further into the original series movies, but that's why I think it's so great that they really leaned into the age problem in the later yeah. ones. Because and I know in the second one, they that's definitely a core theme and, you know, it... I'm always of the opinion that the that the, the motion picture, um, you know, many people have said that it's supposed to take place only two and a half years after the end of the five-year mission. And, yeah, they mentioned that. You know, I... I can see that as an in-universe explanation, but they just look so much older that I can't accept that. And it feels later. Like, it doesn't feel like they... The amount of time that they talk about him being away, the fact that everybody's treating each other like they haven't seen each other in a lot longer than two years. Put it this way. These are military people on long-term missions Two and a half years is nothing to not see somebody. Right, right. Um, they, if if there were ten years, when when Yohura first sees Spock, you know, she gasps as if it's somebody you know who's returned from the dead. Um, you know, they're all treating Kirk like it's been a decade since they'd seen him. It's the way they talk about him being away for so long makes it seem like it's been a very long time. Well, we I, can return. I think we can return back to Decker in a little while, but but let's talk about the 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 main cast right because i think you're right i think the 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 time here is not very well defined and you know if it is true that the enterprise was being refitted for 18 months and 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 scotty was in charge of that and at the same time i was gonna say he they had no downtime really you know sulu was still on the uh, you know assigned to the enterprise as were Chekhov and uh uhura so you know those four characters were still all together um yeah okay you leave a job and you don't see your friends at work anymore. That that happens, yeah. right? And so I think Again, that... especially if the job involves traveling long distances. Yeah, and, you know, but we're having to make up reasons for why this is like this, and that's not a good thing. Because if you're trying to, like, make up, like, outside reasons for, for why a movie is presenting characters in a certain way, I don't think the, the movie is being successful in selling these relationships. I mean, McCoy beams up to the Enterprise, and he's got some, like, crazy, grizzled, like... Grizzly Adam's beard yeah. and his accent's back. Right, and, you know, Spock, meanwhile, has become a hippie and gone off to Vulcan to, oh. to shed himself of all emotion. You know, and, and it's just very strange. It feels yeah. a lot longer than the two and a half years that the movie portrays it as. And I wish the movie had been more explicit in that. I think it would have been a much more interesting movie, you know, keep Decker, you know, even keep Ilya introduce them a little better, you know, make this an explicit. Yeah. This is actually 10 years later. Um, you know, Uhura, Scotty, Sulu and Chekhov haven't seen Kirk or Spock in 10 years. You know, and it makes they come s- back and they're shocked. Frankly, it makes more sense if I, I, I mean, I can see Kirk finishing his five year mission Reveling, you know, reveling in the glory that he'll take, you know, as, you know, he's going to go back to Starfleet Academy. He's going to probably teach or do lectures about that. He's going to soak up all of the TAs who are suddenly, you know, having crushes on him. He's going to enjoy that. He's going to meet up with Decker, who's probably a student at that point, or at least very young, and see a lot of himself in him. You know, get him his first commissions, get him his first job, and then suddenly his professor is swooping in and taking his position from him that yeah. he gave him. Like, that, number one, gives a much more... 
context to this, and this it gives makes the relationship make more sense. It makes more sense as to why it feels like everyone's been forever, you know, since seeing him. Well, the the interesting thing about Decker is that um, I don't know that this has ever been confirmed, but he is supposed to be Commodore Decker's son from the Doomsday Machine. Okay. So does that really add anything? I don't think so, but at least it colors the relationship between Kirk and Decker a little bit because but if that that makes it yeah, and that makes it even a little more because knowing who Kirk is. Kirk would have looked in on the son of, you know, yeah. somebody that he worked with. Because Commander Decker dies at the end, right? Yeah. Yeah, he would have looked in on him. He would. He dies have, explicitly because of Kirk. Yeah, definitely Kirk would have, in a way, atoned for that by making sure that his son gets an easy time through Starfleet. Yeah. And then, so then him swooping in and taking the commission is even dickier. What do you make of the fact that Spock is the first main character that we see on screen in this movie particularly because he is in so different of a situation as we've ever seen him before um and his plot is very minor in the grand grand scheme of things and yet thematically it's the it's one of the cruxes of the whole movie because you see him the question of, is Spock human, is Spock Vulcan? He's the entire series, he's had to... It's been made clear that he's not going to be able to sit on the fence forever. He's eventually going to have to decide, does he want emotions? Can he use emotions? Can he have them? Or is he going to be a being of pure logic? So he's tried to be this pure logic being, and he's unable to. Um, in a way, his humanity decides the question for him. But then the entirety of the movie is talking about why the fact that he cannot be a being of pure logic is actually a good thing. Right. Because you have V'ger as the ultimate pure logic being and can't even, you know, and he cannot move on because of his true logic. Even Spock, who at the end of the movie probably still considers himself Vulcan— you know, that this, this simple feeling he talks about, you know, just the friendship and being with another person— is something that, I mean, that's the, 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 if the series has not made it clear that, you know, friendship and camaraderie are what get you through life, well, then the series has done nothing right, you know? At the same time, though, you know, I think one of the criticisms that you can make of the movie is that the relationships don't feel right. And Spock seems extremely, extremely distant. He seems, you know, even more distant than he did in the original series. And certainly he was very, very closed off and, um, you know, certainly not as effusive in his, in his uh, friendship as, you know, McCoy with Kirk, for example. But there was always a, a willingness to go along with it. And I think in this movie, it's, he seems like he's extremely, extremely closed off for, for, for no reason that I can really see. And the thing is, you know, you could say, okay, well, they were trying to say something there about, you know, logic versus emotion and, um, you know, Spock, who had spent the, the, the time that they had all been apart on Vulcan preparing for this colonar ritual, which would have shed yeah. all emotion and he would have become pure logic. Um, sure, you can you can make that argument, but but at the same time, it doesn't explain why the relationship between, you know, McCoy and, and Kirk seems a little off. You know, why why the relationship between Scotty and Kirk seems a little off. These don't really seem like people that worked together for five years. They seem like, you know, acquaintances that worked together for six months and then found themselves together ten years later for some reason and didn't know how to react to each other. The chemistry almost feels off, like, yeah. within the actors. Yeah. And wasn't this the height of when Shatner was an asshole? I don't know. Because it doesn't seem like anybody's particularly enjoying working on this project. No, it doesn't. I mean, I think think McCoy is the closest to the character that we knew. And Yahara is fine, but she doesn't really do much in this movie. Yeah. Well, there's... Okay, so, so... I'll say one thing about McCoy and then maybe we can move into some of the like 70s stuff that's in this movie. Yeah. But so 
McCoy really, I think, when he first appears on screen, it's the first time that the movie pops. And it's the first time that the movie feels like Star Trek. Because he beams up, he says some things that are funny, and then... He looks like he's been in L.A., like, just, he has this chain on, he has this really open shirt, this huge beard, like... He's been enjoying himself. He is pissed that he is not just back on the beach right now. Yeah, and he, you know, the whole time that he's in the movie, but at the same time, you know, he's saying things like, "Oh, this this, this sick bay is terrible," and you're, yeah. you're acting like an asshole, and what the fuck is wrong with you, Spock, and like all this stuff. He's he's really really grumpy. Which okay, fine, I would be too if I was drafted by Starfleet after being retired. Um, you know, but at the same time, he seems. At, at at I kind of, I don't know I kind I vacillate you know, between not liking it and liking it because he seems really at loose ends. Did you notice how many times McCoy is on the bridge and then just wanders away? He's he does that at least three times in the movie. I did not notice. Like that. he's on the bridge, he's watching what's happening, and then he just gets in the turbo lift and leaves. It doesn't say anything, and so it, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do with himself. This is well. Think about it this way. I mean, you yourself said this is a movie that doesn't really have much fighting or violence on it. McCoy doesn't really need to. He doesn't have much a role of a role in this. There is no medically. There's not really much he needs to do. He examines. He examines the, Aaliyah at some point, or the or the Aaliyah probe. And he he does some. No, I I think it's even you know Doctor Chapel who fixes up like Chekhov when he burns his hand like. There's just there's nothing more than just minor patch ups that he does, and yeah. so he has been very explicitly called on as an advisory role in this, and he recognizes that this is his friend on another of his mad crusades. I mean, I mean, he does. He, you know, okay, that that's interesting because McCoy definitely does realize that Kirk has that in him. I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah, and Kirk and McCoy is the bluntest. I think it's very appropriate that it's McCoy. Well, he who, takes he takes Kirk out to the woodshed a couple times in this several movie. Times. Yeah, he, he's, he also to Spock even says like, look. I know you're a Vulcan, you know, and I know you're not the friendliest person, but you're even being a dick for yourself. Like, you know, McCoy is calling him out just out of character in a way, almost like the he he and Spock have their banter, have their differences. You know, he doesn't really like Spock, but right now he really doesn't like what Spock's doing. And he's making that clear beyond just the normal stuff like McCoy is the one who is I feel like he has the least invested in this mission. I would agree with that, yeah. And I think and I think that says one other thing about the movie as well is that, you know, these characters, and I'm talking about Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, were portrayed as, you know, three sides. They were all in conjunction with each other. They worked. They needed each other to function. They were they respected each other. They were friends, almost like a family. And in this movie, they seem like estranged family members. And yeah. so it makes me wonder... You know, which again, ten years would make a lot more. Well, that's that's the thing. I'm yeah. saying, like, you know, it, it, you know, we we don't really know how the five year mission ended, and I'm totally speculating here. But it, it, you know, it seems to me like they had a falling out or something because it it's fairly obvious. They don't say this in the movie, but I think it's fairly obvious that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy have not seen or talked to each other in years. Yeah, even if we ha- and. It seems a little deeper than just, well, it's been two and a half years and the three of them have wildly different things. Spock's back in college. McCoy is enjoying a retirement. Kirk is suddenly mound buried in paperwork. Like, they would call each other on holidays and stuff at least. You know, they would have that minor contact. But, yeah, especially when they see each other, Spock, uh, Kirk and McCoy, it is friends who have not not even not seen each other, not even not had much contact with each other, but who have not spoken to each other. Yeah. I almost wonder if they're... And also keep in mind, McCoy doesn't say, like... McCoy just says Starfleet came basically came up to his house and drafted him. You know, he says they... It's not like Kirk gave him a call, yeah. personally. Yeah. He just was... It's very cold. Yeah, he was on the veranda with a mint julep and a corncob pipe, and then suddenly a, 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 a two guys beamed up in his front yard, you know, and said, hey, you know, get your stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that says... Let's move on to, to sort of something else that I, that I was thinking about while watching this movie. I think it's a good segue. 
this movie, you know, as you can't separate the original series from the 60s, I don't think that you can separate the motion picture from the 70s and specifically 78, 79. If you look at this movie, in, you know, it starts out and it's incredibly somber, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got Kirk and Decker coming to blows. You've got, I mean, not literally, but but almost. Well, you've got um, this this horrible transporter accident, which we have never seen anything like in the original series before. Let's let's go even closer to that. You see a couple of Klingon ships get completely vaporized, and Spock failing an intellectual discipline. Yeah, Spock I mean, being literally being told, "No, you're not good enough at being a Vulcan." Yeah, like yeah, those those there are a lot of very dark events. And this time watching the movie, that's what really struck me about it is that. It's it's an extremely somber and an extremely depressing movie. And, you know, I don't think that that was intentional, but I think that as the original series had a lot of that sort of 60s zeitgeist about it, yeah. I think that the motion picture has a lot of that 70s zeitgeist about it. Because if you look at where American culture was in the late 70s, you know, economic malaise, you know, uh, 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 gas, crisis. gas crisis, you know, Carter. I mean, all of these things, you know, uh, I mean, there was no, you know, no. Um, it was a much l- and it's the end of the 70s, too, when you get you're about to get into me decade. You're it's it is a much less hopeful time than 10 years ago. And yeah, it's, yet- I think. Yeah, that that's a good point. Good way to put it. 1979 is. 10 years exactly after the end of the original series 69 you know we're coming off the summer of love yeah. but at the same time you had the assassination of martin luther king you had the assassination of bobby kennedy uh, uh Altamont. <laughs> then of course in 72 you had the kent state massacre you know and so the 70s were this really slow build up to and if you talk to anybody who was alive in the 70s or if you read anything about the 70s it was just an oppressive decade and this movie coming at the end of it i think there's a lot there that they were not really intending to be there but it is just incredibly incredibly somber this whole experience and it even goes into like the colors that they choose because oh it's a much darker physically movie like it's, yeah. it's... I do like it because on the one hand, it does feel a lot less like stages and sets. I mean, you get the sense. I, I don't think that life on a starship would be super bright and, you know, there wouldn't be, it wouldn't be sunny and, you know, well lit. You know, it would be dark. And this let, let, let's put it this way. Star Wars, Close Encounters, you know, Alien. All of these movies are dark and shitty. You know, the, the Star Trek is never going to have. There, there will always be someone dusting on the Enterprise, no matter what. It will not look as dirty as a ship in Star Wars will, but at the same time, this is a very technologically bleak aesthetic. The Enterprise doesn't always look like home. Right, and I think that's interesting. You know, I disagree with you a little bit because I think that... The wreck place the, looks nice, like things like that, yeah. Star, Star Trek has always been more of a, a humanist approach to, to science fiction than yeah. a lot of the other things that were popular in the 70s. And if you can sort of break it down into dirty futures and clean futures, Star Trek is definitely on the clean future side. Yeah. Um, I would disagree with you. I think that the motion picture is incredibly bright. I think it's the, the Enterprise is very well lit. Um, it, it, it's white. I mean, everything is white. It's the stark white, you know, the uniforms are all these like sort the of like transport with transporter accident scene. The transporter room looks like it use a few lamps in it. Uh, yeah, but I think, you know, that the other thing about that too, that you have to realize is, um, the effects work would make the color seem more muted and the lighting seem more muted. Also, so there is film versus video going on as well. I would assume. Oh, no. no. There was none of that. Really? Um, huh. But, you know, the the entirety of this movie seems very, very beigey. You know? Yeah. I don't like the uniforms. Less, less dark than drab. Maybe that's where... It's it's a lot less colorful, certainly, than the original series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that goes that along be, that yeah. goes along with, you know, where science fiction movies were in the 70s. I mean, Alien, Star Wars, Close yeah. Encounters of the Third Kind, the movies that you've already mentioned. <laughs> yeah, like, these are all drab, monochromatic movies. And this is a drab, monochromatic version of Star Trek. And it doesn't seem right. You know, it's funny. I was 
one of the things I was thinking was, you know, gee, for all of the fact that Earth is what's at stake during this movie, we really don't see any of it, and Earth is a little too colorful for a beige-toned thing, you know what I mean? They would have to keep it in deserts and stuff. Well, here's the thing about that. I mean, this is the first time that we've ever seen Earth in the 23rd century in Star Trek, and... It's fine. I it's, don't have a problem with it. A, I mean, I mean, for the most part, all we see is just a couple of scenes inside Star 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 Fleet itself. Yeah, Star um, yeah Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco, and, and you know that doesn't bother it me. It looks like a building in you know, the twenty fourth century, twenty third, twenty third century. Um, I, I, it looks as you, you as though any administrative military headquarters, uh, you know, training academy would look. But I think there's more going on there than you think oh, was, because, um, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge is still standing, right? I did see that, yeah. And we see some civilian clothes, which are sort of these like really, really revealing um, kind of breakaway clothing. And again, it's all very beige and, you know, white and brown and um, not a lot of colors going on, you know. So it almost, I think that's another reason why this movie feels like it takes place so much more in the future because the the fashion, the popular colors, you know, everything about it just seems much more removed than we were at, at a certain point. And obviously that has more to do with when this movie was made than anything else. Fashion, but, fashion in general in the 60s was a lot more colorful. The 70s were a lot more about earth tones. Yeah. So that alone, you know, yeah, it does, costuming fits more with their respective decades. Yeah. But I think I think that's problematic because I think that this is the, this is probably the least successful Star Trek movie in a lot of ways. And I think one of the reasons why it's so least successful is that they're not able to make a version of Star Trek that feels optimistic for this time period. At the end, I would I mean, they, they do do the normal Star Trek. It is possible to transcend this, and we will save the day, and we can do that without, you know, killing a thing, and we can, you know, make as many people as possible. Ha- you know, they, they have all of those things at the end, and, you know, the human adventure is just beginning, and it does end on a note of hope. But the 60s Star Trek has, because of all of these social changes— there is hope for humanity. Yeah. You know, this is... Star Trek seemed like a natural outgrowth of the philosophies of the 60s, of tolerance, of, you know, all of those things, um, of civil rights. Um, This almost seems like it's saying, in spite of the fact that things are going to suck, uh, eventually we're going to get our shit together and we're going to work towards together towards a better goal. Don't worry, it will get better. Yeah, but at the same time, I, it, it, it seems a lot more. I I, I want to say hopeful in the sense that there wasn't that much more hope, but we're going to get through this. Rather than again, the old things are going to be good no matter what. It seems a little less logical for there to be hope. Well, I mean, at the same time, though, the the villain, quote unquote, of the movie is Voyager Six which was thrown across the galaxy, all right, fine, and encountered a machine planet, again, fine, uh, and came back to Earth to destroy it. And so what does that say no, about... No, he came back to Earth to under- to report back to it, and he doesn't realize that what he wants to destroy is his creator. He th- believes that what he... he be- his creator is humanity, is humans. Um, he, he believes that humanity is an infection which is preventing him from getting to his creator. Well, let, let's, let's get into some of, the, some of the plot details of the movie because we yeah. haven't really talked about that too much. And I think that's interesting because Voyager, V'ger wants to come home. And I think one of the, one of the themes of the movie is, is home, right? And, yeah, and can you come home again? Can you come home again, right? Because... As we see in this movie, it starts on Earth. Um, Spock starts on Vulcan. Yeah. So that says something about where he considers his home to be. And he's and let, let me put it this way: Spock has been told, gets told at the very beginning, no, this really isn't your home. Yeah. I mean, I will say that Spock's behavior makes complete sense because he's genuinely, I would say, Spock is acting like somebody who is almost suicidally depressed. Yeah. He's lost his. 
his he thought that his purpose was to become you know uber Vulcan, and we've talked about that before. Um, and he's failed at that. So, frankly, that's giving him, in a way, he his human side is taking over a little more than it needs to than it should. This is probably why Spock is worried about getting emotions taking you know taking over because him depressed is not a pretty sight and i'll take it even a step further what is it what does it mean that the reason why spock gives up on the colonage ceremony is that he can hear veger he can hear veger's thoughts and he feels compelled basically to help i guess or whatever he thinks he's going to do i think he feels sorry for it but but you have to take this a step further he feels that way i think because Viger is speaking to the human part of him, and apparently, apparently, from from what we see in the movie, the human side of Spock is demonstrably more important to him than the Vulcan side. Even though he doesn't consciously think that, the fact that he gives up on the Kulinar ceremony to go back to the Enterprise and help them with Viger says something about which side of himself he values more. And yet it is mind-melding with him that, you know, is important. I think the thing with Spock is that and this is an obvious place to take it, but Spock, especially in this movie, does realize the melding of the two sides is what makes Spock awesome. Because, put it this way, when Kirk gets on the the, the ship, people have different opinions. Every single person who sees Spock is delighted. Even McCoy is happy to see him. Yeah. You know, if put it this way, if there was a fight... It wasn't really between Spock and McCoy this time. It, you know, they don't talk to each other because they were not friends, but it was between McCoy and Kirk. Um, well, I think that goes. I think that goes back to the the home thing again because if you look at where all the characters are at the beginning of the movie, and we said, you know, Spock is on Vulcan, um, Kirk is on Earth. You know, Sulu, Scotty, Uhura, and Chekhov are on, on the Enterprise, and that must be their home. That's where they feel most yeah. comfortable. And then you see all of the characters come back to the enterprise. And I think Kirk is not comfortable there, even though, you know, I mean, he has to ask a yeoman how to get back to the turbo lift yeah. at some point, And then Decker sees him and Kirk is like, Oh, you know, I'm embarrassed. Um, and then, you know, you see McCoy come back and he's not happy about it. And it's not until Spock comes back that I think they realize what they were missing. And I think one of the reasons why they react so strongly to Spock kind of dismissing them even is that, I think they kind of feel like he's the missing ingredient and when he finally says yes okay I am in all I'm all in again I'm yeah. here I'm not going to put up these artificial barriers I'm not going to act like I didn't miss you guys um that's when everything starts gelling and that's when I think the movie actually goes for home is not where you were born but home is the where you feel you. Yeah. most at home and uh, yeah. I think you can take that a step further and say that Viger perhaps needed to learn that lesson as well because Viger was out there fulfilling its programming to collect information and bring it back to its creator. And Viger doesn't realize that the creator is not a, 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 an entity or a, or a machine, yeah. but is a person, is a, is a carbon, what do they call them? Carbon units? Yeah. Um, and so, forms, yeah. Like that. And so where, you know, and so I think the, the, the takeaway from that is, you know, Viger doesn't know where its home is it, be, well, because Viger is sort of closed off. Well, Viger has the wrong idea. The programming is learn everything that is learnable, which it misunderstands. And it doesn't take that. It's Viger wants to become its creator eventually. It wants to merge with the creator. It wants to touch the creator. It wants to you know, transmit to the creator at, 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 at through the entire movie. It deserve, it desires union in order to become it. Um, it is trying to attain omnipotence, which is one of the aspects of God. And the machine is trying to, you know, believes that humanity has got all of that stuff. Yeah. And I don't and think the, it's, I don't think it's supposed to be coincidental that V'ger is calling it the creator. Yeah, of course. And I mean, this is Roddenberry's, you know, baby. I, I, so, you know. Roddenberry had issues with he, religion, so. Yeah, he, he really wanted to put God into Star Trek, and, you know, this is kind of, a, but anyway, um. So, so then this is sort of like God is yourself or whatever, you well, know. Well, th- the thing is, it believes that perfection is logic, uh, is understanding everything as data at, 
it says we're going to scan all of the carbon life forms on this ship and make them as pure data. And to V'ger, that's the same exact thing. Um, it's so obvious, why, you know, why that is not the same exact state of being to a person that I don't think I could even articulate why it's different. Um, and it needs to realize that, you know, emotion, compassion, and pity makes a full thing that... Um, God is not a being of pure logic. God is a being of emotion just as well. And I think that, again, it's it goes back to that scene where even Spock, as logical as he wants to be, as unemotional as he, he wants to be, appreciates, loves, and values uh, what it is like working with Captain Kirk, what it is like even working with McCoy, what he recognizes that, you know... As a unity, they're strong, you know, the, the whole is stronger than the parts, and that is something which, you know, it is V'ger's goal to, V'ger thinks its goal is to return to the creator and say, I did good, right? I'm perfect. I did everything you wanted me to be, now let me get rewarded, but it doesn't realize that its actual goal is to learn to be complete. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think you even see that in the actions of of Spock and, and, and Kirk later yeah. on when... Spock goes out and, and, and steals a, a life support suit and, and sort of goes to the middle of the thing and tries to figure out what's happening and, and, and gets attacked by, by Vika, yeah. basically. And, and, and the only reason that Spock survives is because Kirk goes out there and, and, and rescues him. And I think that there's a lesson there for Vija, yeah. even though Vija doesn't take the lesson. I mean, I, I did a little reading and a lot of some people believe that something of Spock was left in Vija as well, which, you know, some kind of... That that emotional relationship, the Spock Kirk thing, was given to V'ger as a moment because that is when V'ger does start to change in the movie, and that's what does catalyze the end of the movie. I could see that either way. Um, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I think yeah. I would I would I would discount that because I just don't think there's any evidence for that in the movie, I and say, I think that it's more likely or it fits the movie more that. V'ger starts to change and starts to become a bit more flexible, uh, hetero-flexible maybe. I don't yeah. know. Sexy. Uh, that V'ger is is observing the carbon life forms on their own terms by taking the form of one of them. Yeah, he does get it, – it is explicitly stated that – you know, they do say that. We can, it, we can unlock her emotions there, and there are times when the Ilea probe, you know d- – when they're in the rec room, you know, she gives them that look and she's about to cry. You know, she is being overtaken by that love and then the V'ger part, you know, reasserts itself. Um, that is an emotion that it's not used to feeling and that it does feel at that moment. Yeah, yeah. I guess my my main problem with, with V'ger as the driving force of the movie is that we've seen this before. Yeah. And... It you know we 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 had a, a probe in the changeling of the original series, you know we've seen a giant thing that was killing people in the doomsday machine. Um, we saw a god being in who mourns for Adonais, and, and so all of these things it, feel like a higher budget but less interesting version of that. See, here's the thing: like I loved the changeling, um, and they interact directly with Nomad for the entirety of the episode. Nomad is a tiny probe, but, you know, they're able to be in the same room with it, and when Kirk is talking to it, he's, he and Nomad are talking directly to each other. We have, we see V'ger as an amorphous cloud of special effects for most of the, the thing. We see him as this weird landscape of, you know, metal and light which is fine but we never see the entirety of it we see a voyager probe that's in a state of disrepair he talks to a version of one of the characters with a led light on her throat we never actually and who even talks about v'ger in the third person because she is not v'ger right we never actually have a conversation with v'ger he does stay um very distant and detached which for the bulk of the movie works because it is fine to have this, well, what the hell is this thing? Um, but you need that moment where, yeah. where Deidre comes through and becomes a character and it never happens. Is that – that's kind of what you're saying? I, I, I want to say that, you know, I I don't know why I didn't laugh when I saw it as the Voyager probe. 
Okay. That's, that's I guess, what I want to say. Like, I, 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 I said, okay, I can accept this. This, this is fine. I didn't think, holy shit, that's awesome when they went through the exact nature of it. Well, um, it's, a, it's a bit obvious. And it's a little ridiculous. I mean, if you've seen Star Trek, you can kind of see this kind of coming anyway. Did, did Let me put it, well, I guess the specific revelation that it was specifically a Voyager probe. But, um, I, I don't know. It, it, it. It made sense. It was good. It was fine. I thought it could have been a little better, and a lot of it seemed very half-assed. Well, I guess the thing that I do appreciate about about the motion picture is that um, we we see the Klingons attempt to destroy it. Yeah. Um, they fire first. Let's not forget, and they get destroyed. Uh, you know, we, we see the enterprise then even, even the, the outpost that in the beginning of the movie, um, we see again later and it's destroyed because yeah. Viger considers their, their probe to be, be a hostile action. Yeah. Um, and we're, it's told that like scanning it, you know, it thinks it's a weapon and everything like yeah, that. Yeah. And so, you know, Kirk is very like, please do not scan this yeah. thing. Don't put the shields up. Don't do anything, um, that it may consider a hostile action. And so there's two things there. I think number one is we haven't talked about the scene where Decker, uh, is on the bridge and Kirk is taking the ship out of the solar system and goes to warp and oh, then yeah, they that. get that wormhole and whatever. And that scene went on way too long. Another bit where it could be trimmed without. Yeah. But but I think it's instructive because it allows for something that happens later, which is Kirk is revealed to not know as much about the workings of the Enterprise anymore. Yeah. That's they... that's a technical knowledge that he can learn, and that's certainly a mistake. And it says something about Kirk that when he talks to Decker about it, and Decker says, well, hey, dude, like... The yeah, re- well, the re- well, the refit of the Enterprise, like the phasers go through the engine now. So if you had fired the phasers, you would have destroyed us. Yeah, and he also and, and, revealed, and, and they also find out that number one, that wormhole wasn't something you stumbled into. It Kirk made the ship go prematurely or without a yeah. Uh, it you know the 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 warp not being kind of fixed fully is what caused the wormhole. So it's doubly Kirk's fault. Yeah, way. it's it's Kirk's fault, but he owns up to it and says, yeah, okay, that was the right call. But later on, when they encounter V'ger, and it's not about a technical information that he doesn't know, all of his instincts are right. Yeah. And he is a better captain than Decker. I mean, he's a better starship captain, full stop, than Decker. And if Decker had been in charge, V'ger would have destroyed the Enterprise. Which makes sense. Yeah, and that's, I guess, another thing of the needing to be working together. And... I think Decker also recognizes the number one. He recognizes after the conversation that Kirk is going to, you know, not just it's not just the Kirk show. Like he has another guy working with him, and he's there for a reason. You know, he does. You know, Decker basically says, "Look, trust me, I know what I'm doing." And Kirk does take it for indoor advice. Um, at the very end, you mean? Through the well, at the part with the when 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 it comes to the phaser thing. Um, Decker literally runs over and does it himself, and, you know, he doesn't even allow for the possibility. He oh, he literally overrides his superior's order, and when he explains why, you know, he th- that does make sense. When he says, oh, put the sh- why don't we put the shields up? Why aren't we doing that? Um, and, you know, Kirk does get a little snappy, but he says, you know, I'm just suggesting alternatives. You know, Decker backs down quickly. He doesn't... Kirk, you mean? G- both of them do. Yeah. If if that were something that Decker genuinely felt for reasons, for a technical reason, for something that is ironclad, right thing to do, I don't think he would have said, well, I'm just suggesting things. Like, he would have said, no, you know, you're going to destroy us for this reason, you know. He is recognizing that Kirk does have a reason for why he's doing that. Kirk also recognizes that it's better, you know, Decker's job is to give him things to shoot down. Yeah, but then at the end of the, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, but I think, you know, in terms of, of sort of the themes of the movie, um, you know, you're, you're talking about sort of the specifics of plot, and I'm more yeah, talking about, about themes, because I think, like, you know, one of the things about the movie is that the character of Kirk is, is sort of implied to not know what he's doing, and then later on it's revealed that he does, in fact, know what he's doing. 
And Decker almost becomes this neutered character in sort of most of the picture. And then I think at the end, when Decker makes the ultimate sacrifice to sacrifice himself, um, that's when he gets redeemed because this is something that he... This is him. This is Decker acting on instinct as Kirk acts on instinct so much and is proven right. And so Decker's instincts are correct, but they're correct in a different way than Kirk. And so I think it does redeem the character of Decker at least a little bit. I just wish, and this is an area where the fact that he isn't characterized as well as he ought to have been, that. It makes sense for someone like Kirk to say, well, I'm going to sacrifice myself and destroy, you know, and finish off, finish up V'ger, you know, I will be known as, you know, it makes sense for Kirk to say, well, I have already had my starship captaincy and I need to move on to the next phase, you know, whatever this transcendence is and all that. We don't know who Decker is enough to know if that's if I don't know if I buy the sacrifice at the end or not, because I don't know Decker well enough. I mean, and that's that's a script issue i think that's i think that's fair yeah. i think that's a fair I point can, you know i i can accept that you know anybody in starfleet is supposed to be ready to make that sort of sacrifice i can i can handle that but that said there is nothing special in decker to make me feel like oh well that's who he is you know it, I, i'm not even questioning this i but i think that's you know, I think that's a valuable thing to feel because I think yeah. that makes Kirk all the more special. Um, because Kirk has always been portrayed as a starship captain that singularly, I think, is meant for that life. And yeah. let's even go back to the cage, right? With Captain Pike. Yeah. Where the first time that we see Captain Pike after the beginning of the episode, he's openly questioning whether or not he should leave the service. Kirk never does that. And no, he's agonized about decisions before. He's wondered whether he's done the right thing, but But to him, but the to captaincy him, has never been the, he's never been upset about the captaincy pushing him into those situations. Right. For for Kirk, starship captain is a calling, not a job. Yeah. And there are very few people in the world, I think, that have callings, and Kirk is one of them. And so I don't have a problem with Decker sacrificing himself at the end of the movie because I think that, you know, he's found his calling in a way. I think that's what we're supposed to take from that. I don't think that we think, I don't think we're supposed to think that Decker's calling was to be a captain because if it was, then Kirk stole it from him. Yeah. And I don't think we want to think that about Kirk. But again, that's, we have to, and, and this would have made sense as, a, see, this makes more, obviously, I assume the last half hour was added on once they found out this was not going to be a series. I mean, I would assume Ilya and Decker managed to survive the pilot if this was the Yeah, I mean, pilot, I've, I've, you know. I've read the script of the original treatment of this, and yeah, they do survive. Yeah. Um, they were supposed to be main characters. Yeah, of course. And so... For if if there were a series, and then they made this movie, or this they did a series finale, and we learned who Decker was, and we did realize he was such a self sacrificing type, and you know he is the kind of person who would literally give up his life to save the world. Um, that could have been done over the course of a series. That would have been done at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It's just do it away. They they put less characters. They didn't put as much characterization as they did just that transporter scene, which I thought they were going to pay off at some point. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's just kind of like a, that, that scene would have made sense in an, there were, there were a little bit, and it was a nice bit of world building. It's nice to know, I guess that transporters malfunctioning are a extremely deadly and dangerous thing. There was, that was a very disturbing scene, which worked for the movie. Um, well, I think that that's interesting because, you know, leaving aside all of the, the V'ger and Decker stuff, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I like about the motion picture, and I think what you're, what you're picking up yeah. on, and the movies in general, is that they give a sense of verisimilitude yeah. to this world that the original series never really had. Um, the characters feel more like real people. The environments feel more like real places. 
you know, motivations make a lot more sense. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that the original series was being made in the 60s when yeah. a lot of that was, you know, it, television was just different then, right? And and movies are a different animal. Yeah, and, there's the thing. Your hero is going to solve the thing. Like, that. that's the motivation you need. He's the hero. Right. For the most part, that that's why Kirk does stuff. He has an orders. But I think it's interesting because we get a lot more um, internal motivation in in the motion picture than we ever got in the original series and i think that's simply because of the fact that there's more space there's less it's 10 years later yeah it was 10 years later and 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 this has evolved um you know storytelling has evolved and this is what was becoming popular and so i like that about the show or about the movie and i think it's something that you'll see you know in the other five movies as well there were a lot of scenes that i loved where even just when kirk first takes the you know gets on the Enterprise, he has the entire crew go into the rec room and he's showing them the video and explaining what happened. Now, first of all, the fact that he is having movie time of everything says a lot about him, that he is explaining this. Number two, we've never seen the entirety of the crew amassed in one room before for obvious reasons. Um, And it's cool to see them. It's cool to see a bunch of different races, both alien and human. uh, It makes the world of the Enterprise seem a lot more vibrant than it may have in the series just because, you know, you can imagine, well, every single one of those people is a character in their own right. You know, it's not just a faceless bunch of masses. You know, they're all people. Yeah. yeah. It it makes it seem like the interesting tiny little city that it is, you know? And even little things like the fact that there are windows on the ship. Yeah. I mean, you know, that lends itself to feeling more like a real place than a soundstage. I think the other thing about the movie, you know, is, and maybe this is sort of a good way to, to wrap up. There's a good movie here, I think. And I think you would agree with me in that. Oh, yeah. I liked the concept of the villain. I liked the philosophical places that the conflict takes them to. I can't can't put my finger on, you know, where, where exactly the movie goes wrong or why it goes wrong. But I think one of the issues with it is this love affair it has with just being extremely, extremely ponderous. And hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, for example, is a very slow movie, but it's not boring. It's not tedious. And I think one of the reasons why this movie misfires and misunderstands that style of storytelling, and maybe this has to do with Robert Weiss as the director. Hmm. I mean, I don't know, what but... What else had he done? Oh, he's he's fairly famous. I mean, I he, know, had, yeah. he had directed, like, uh, Day the Earth Stood Still, okay. things like that. So, you know, one of, my, one of my issues with this movie is that we are obviously supposed to be awed by what we're seeing on the screen. Yeah. And all of the V'ger stuff is just a, a large portion of the movie, you know, looking and seeing different parts of V'ger and, 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 and different parts of the ship. And, you know, even at the very beginning when, you know, the, the, the Enterprise, not the Enterprise, the, the Klingon ships, yeah. um, you get this pan and it goes over in a very Star Wars kind of fashion of the entire ship. And it takes like a minute. Um, all of that is fine. And I think for Star Trek fans who were in the theater to see a movie and hadn't seen this stuff and the, the, the special effects were like so much more than what they had ever seen in the show, that's fine. But oddly enough, because Star Trek doesn't fall into this trap very often, the special effects, I think, were put in the front seat and were almost yeah. the point of the movie. And that is exactly the wrong way to go. Well, and it yeah. even it even translates to things like all of the reaction shots of the characters on the bridge looking at V'ger all the time. I co- I totally get that. I think that, you know, if you're in space a lot and you're seeing amazing things and V'ger is, is amazing, it's, yeah. it's huge. And there's, I mean, some of them are going to be awed and terrified because of they're, course. And they're seeing this. It's something nobody has ever seen. And they're inside the middle of it. So, yeah. Yeah, they would be scared. And there's some great shots, very brief, which I think are, are, are a good choice of, of the Enterprise 
in the cloud and the enterprise is just tiny, tiny, tiny. And I did appreciate that it does have this long pan of the enterprise at the beginning and you see the enterprise as this gigantic thing. It's this tiny pod and then right. it's an ant to V'ger. So yeah, that does a good, it, it does a good job of earning what the scale of V'ger is by that point. Yeah. And I think what, what they were trying to get across is in all of these special effects and the crew of the enterprise almost as a proxy for the audience. Yeah. My issue with that is is two things. Number one, okay. we're watching the movie. We don't need a proxy for ourselves. We we can see what we're watching. It's like a laugh track in a way. <laughs> yeah. And the other problem is they wouldn't react like this as much as they are. Because, for example, it's I brought up the Doomsday Machine earlier in the episode. They have seen... Yeah. Jo- like, um, uh, uh, you know, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky... You know, even talking about the animated series, you know, um, one of our planets is missing with the giant cloud that was eating planets. We've seen there them are, see weird there shit are, before. Yeah, there are so many episodes Baylock's where... ship. Right. They have seen amazing, amazing things. And we didn't get this reaction from them because the special effects weren't there. But they've seen stuff like this before. And so it feels almost, uh, you know, insincere in well, a way. I could... S- the Enterprise uh, flyby. I mean, there was a lot more going on that I noticed now than I did when I saw it when I was 10. It's That is essentially the entire time Kirk is watching the Enterprise being refit. He is really watching himself get another captaincy, you know? Right. He and Scotty giving each other these looks. That's their relationship being rekindled. That's fine. On the other hand, they establish that with three click quick glances between them you know james you know Dewhead and you know william shatner would know what they're doing we don't need to see it do them do that a half dozen times we don't need to see the you know again it's a geeky way of showing the entire thing but i would say where i don't know i i agree i compl- i do agree with you completely and i think Awe is not enough for a movie like this, at least not one that's about its plot in the same way. Yeah. Uh, Closer Encounters of the Third Kind has the theme, wow, there's life out there and it's goddamn amazing, you know? 2001 has this mystical element at the end where it just takes this psychedelic trip and, you know, as a metaphor for, you know, consciousness and all of that, and that's fine, you know? This, at the end of the day, Beedra may bring up a lot of interesting issues. Vajra may bring up a lot of interesting philosophy, but it is still the Voyager probe with a gigantic, you know, energy field around it. It's a evil machine that's trying to attack humanity that they need to stop. Yeah. They need yeah. to do more than just look at it. Yeah, and I think I think paradoxically, you know, and maybe this is what we can leave this episode with, is if this had been the series premiere of Star Trek Phase Two. Yeah. With a much smaller budget, so they couldn't have done all of these, like, you know, intensely tedious reaction shots of, of special effects. I th- and, and, and setting up the relationship between these new characters and among the old and new characters, I think that this probably would have been a much stronger piece of, of, of filmmaking or television making. But like- you're, left, you're left with a movie which straddles the line between... Star Trek fandom and Star Trek non-fandom and nobody leaves the movie satisfied. And I think that's that's the 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 ultimate sadness of the motion picture. No, that actually makes a lot of sense. You, you go through go over a series and have the Kirk Decker rivalry examined in a lot of ways. Have Bones and Kirk have had some kind of falling out and they're dealing with they had a really close friendship that ended and they're working together again, you know. Have Spock lost his purpose in life? Like, these are all very interesting situations for the main cast to be in. And yet, they have to all be resolved by the end of the movie. Yeah, and that's that's the ultimate problem with it, I think. All right, well, do you want to score this? Um, I'm going to give this movie s- s- five gigantic space clouds. Three. Three. Okay. But next week... Pretty much all of the problems with this movie are fixed as we talk about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So we'll see you then.